Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. To this is Civity. I'm Gina Valeria. In this episode, we talk with Josh Schachter, founder and director of Community Share, a nonprofit that connects community resources, artists, organizations, and people to teachers, students, and schools. The goal is to share wisdom and knowledge across these connections and create real world learning experiences for young people. Welcome, Josh. Talk to me a little bit about Community Share. What is Community Share? We're a nonprofit that's really looking at how to reimagine the relationship between our communities and our schools. Um, and in some ways, to imagine our communities as the classroom, right? And to look at all the amazing people and resources that live in our communities that educators and students aren't often able to tap into easily. And so our work is really about facilitating and supporting real world learning experiences for teachers and students through partnerships and learning opportunities with community partners. And we do that. I'm based in Tucson, Arizona, and then we've also been expanding to other parts of the U.S. That's amazing. Where else are you right now? Just in the last six months, we expanded to Phoenix, Arizona. And then um, to Yuma, Arizona, which is right near the U.S.-Mexico border. And then last year, we expanded to Las Cruces, New Mexico. And just this month, um, we're uh, starting up in Cincinnati, Ohio. When Malka and Palma talked with you, they saw the civity, like the, the sort of threads of connection between your work and what we do at Civity. And what led you to this? I mean, this is this is incredible work. It's so important for the kids. What led you here? A few things <laughs> led me down this path. You know, life is definitely not a straight line. It's more of a meander. I think one of them was my own experience as a student. You know, I was pretty bored, frankly, for the most part in my, you know, schooling um, and not because the teachers weren't good or anything. I just, I didn't see the relevance of why I was learning things. And then when I was in high school, I had the opportunity to study turtles of all things with a herpetologist in South Carolina and Alabama and to do real field research. It was like this huge aha moment of, of understanding why you needed to understand ecology or biology or, or math to be able to analyze data. 
you know, I just never understood why I was memorizing all this stuff in, in class. And then when I got to literally go out in the field and collect data, work on real conservation and wildlife issues, it just exploded my mind. And the mentor, Jeff Lovich, who's actually one of the world's top herpetologists now, turtle experts, um, you know, he really instilled in me a, a love for not just turtles, but just science in general. And so from that experience, over the last 20 years, I've been an educator and then I teach multimedia storytelling. And in all that work, I really focus on the real world application. With my students, it's not just about learning how to take photos or tell stories or do a photo essay. It's I encourage them to look at their own lives, issues in their community, and then take action using their voice. And so that really informs um, community share. And then sort of the last piece, I was working in a high school for eight years, working with English language learners with refugee and immigrant youth here in Tucson. The first year I started there, my colleague and I asked them to photograph what does it mean to have a home or to feel at home. And so they went out and they photographed and wrote about those questions. And almost every student photographed isolation and disconnection from the larger, in our case, Tucson community. And you know there were about 50 students. So to see that many images of isolation, disconnection was really hard to process and concerning. And so long story short, in addition to sort of teaching photography and multimedia storytelling, I ended up being a connector between my students' passions and their projects and people in the community that also shared those passions and had expertise. And I did that sort of matchmaking for eight years so that not only were students getting the chance to see the relevance of the work they were working on, but build those connections between the broader community and the students. And it was, you know, led to some really exciting work. Our students presented in the United States Congress, they redesigned their high school campus, all kinds of, but it was all through partnerships with members in the community. But then I left the high school after eight years and essentially all those connections, all that social capital, if you will, went with me because I had built those relationships. And I started to wonder, is there a better way to connect community resources to students and teachers that isn't dependent on a single human kind of coordinator to sort of democratize connectedness, if you will. And so that's really what led to Community Share was the idea of could you, in our case, use technology, a platform to reveal the knowledge and wisdom of community members that, in a way that would enable any educator and their students to access those assets. I love it. There's sort of two big pieces. One is learning the why, which it's unfortunate, but in education, sometimes the why is skipped because the why is assumed. And students need the why. They need to know why they're doing things. And then that, I, I love, thank you for sharing that moment when you looked at the photos of isolation. And then it, it's like the why shifted, not why are they learning, but why am I here? Like, what is my role here? I want to dive deeper into this idea of social capital, because in a way, you trying to make these connections just further proved the point that social capital matters. And it could have further isolated because the relationships weren't being made with the students and with the idea, they were being made with you. 
and I think that's common. I'm going to do this for you. You're my buddy. I know you. And, and so the idea of like move, trying to move that social capital away from you and into the idea itself is so powerful. You hit it right on one, you know, the why is, is often really overlooked. And I would say we tend to overemphasize the what, you know, like facts. Yeah, and I agree. Sort of the model of education where sort of the expert downloads a bunch of information to a supposed empty vessel that's going to take in and moving from a different, you know, kind of model where students are really driving the learning based on their passions and projects and goals, and then designing a learning experience around that, which is, um, you know, how I would personally like to see more education. Um, and then around the social capital, I would say the intersection of the why and the who, the who is, you know, is most overlooked for me is, you know, the reality is who you know shapes your future arguably more or at least as much as what you know. Totally. <laughs> Whether we like it or not, that is the reality of, you know, we're a world where if you know the right people, you you know, you get that internship or that job interview or that funding or whatever, you know, whatever it is. And so um, I think the intersection of the why and the who and the what is really where the magic can happen. You know, I created Community Share really from a place of equity as I found that um, particularly the students I was working with, refugee and immigrant students who were newer, they just didn't have as big a network and as diverse access to resources. In general, there's lots of research that shows that lower income youth do not have as diverse access to what are sort of called informal mentors or support, uh, you know, adults, um, as well as um, schools that are serving lower income um, communities. And so for me, it's really thinking from an equity point of view, how do you ensure that all teachers and students have more equitable access um, to the who, to those caring um, adults, you know, whether it's uh, a professional that works at a, a company or a retiree, or, you know, for us, a, par a community partner can mean a parent. It could mean a graduate student. It could mean a librarian. It could be someone that works at your city government. Um, but it, for us, it's, it's about the lived experience, sharing the lived experience, not just what's on your business card. Um, you know, whatever your title is of, you know, architect or engineer, we want to know from, community members, were they the first to go to college? Is that what they would be interested in sharing? Have they lived in another country? Did they work in elected office? Were they all these questions that wouldn't normally kind of come up if you ask someone who they are, you would usually say, I'm a, you know, an artist or what have you. Well, one thing that really relates to civity is the idea of seeing. And you had that moment where you stopped and you saw. Because there are a lot of people who would have done that assignment and been like, oh, wow, and then kind of moved on, right? But you stopped and you saw, which we would call a very civity moment, right? Like, oh, you're seeing. That led you to contemplate and then to take action, which, again, is not something everyone would do. So I'm wondering, talk to me about when you started going through those assignments and seeing this through line, like how, like what do you think caused you to see it? And what do you think caused you to actually want to do something about it? Honestly, it was largely because 
I was increasingly seeing that students were disengaged in school. Like that is not okay. Um, you know, one of the top reasons that kids drop out of school is because it's not relevant to their lives and their, their future goals. Um, it's not just like a nice to have. It's, it's one of the key factors that limit the potential growth and engagement and success of young people is they don't see why they're learning things. It's not relevant. And so I could no longer, you know, observe, be observing it. Observing it wasn't enough. And it wasn't enough for me just to be doing it in, in my classrooms. Um, I wanted to, you know, to really work with others to create a movement, if you will, because in many ways, I think of Community Share more as a movement than an organization is, and it's a movement bigger than Community Share. It's all the teachers and the organizations we partner with and students and, you know, lots of folks. One of the saddest things I always think about is if a young people go, a person goes through their whole life and they never bump into that that form of expression or that career field or that way of seeing that connects to their core being, if you will, you know, and they go through their whole life that way. And so I just feel so strongly that we need to expose young people to all kinds of ways of being in the world, working in the world, living in the world, traveling in the world, engaging with the world so that they, you know, can sort of test their own interests with those and say, oh, wow, I never realized that to build a website, you might need to know math to do some, you know, whatever specific operation to, you know, build an algorithm or whatever it is. And also with just the way careers are developing, there's so much specificity now. It's impossible, literally, to know all the pathways to different careers and sub-careers within those. And it's impossible to imagine a teacher or, or a counselor to know all those things. And so why not tap into our communities who are living those lives? So I guess it's the idea that, you know, I want to ensure that young people connect with that spark and by exposing them. And I believe that needs to happen early. You know, a lot of programs that I talk to start in high school, some in middle school. We start in preschool. Okay, because I believe you need to start engaging people, students in thinking about themselves, you know, self-reflection and what they want to do in the world early on. Um, and there's lots of research that shows by age seven or eight that particularly in terms of gender that girls start developing an, an occupational identity based on what society's expectations are for them. And so if we're waiting till high school, it's way too late, you know, in terms of supporting um, young people's development because they may have already decided, oh, I'm, I'm not a science person, I'm not an arts person, um, before they've even had a chance to dive into it, right? You're so right. One other piece just relating to what you're talking about is helping the students shape their own stories because it was stories, it was student stories that stopped you in your tracks and got you to want to do this work. You also mentioned earlier moving away from people talking about what they do to who they are, but that actually helps the students understand maybe what they want to do. I'm wondering if you could share 
any anecdotes from the community partners that you work with about their experiences doing this work with you? In March of last year, one of the teachers we work with, Jackie Nichols, at a middle school here in Tucson, she um, was having her students think about how to build sustainable cities on the moon. So they literally built, during COVID, but they did it in person, they built physical 3D models of what a, you know cities could look like on the moon, which was pretty amazing to me. And then um, we were able to connect our senator, uh, Senator Mark Kelly, virtually, of course. You know, it was really pretty exciting. This, you know, he wore his astronaut because he's also an astronaut. And he zoomed in and the students were in the classroom presenting. So they were moving the laptop around, you know, like showing their, their, their cities. And he was asking some really tough questions about like, so is, are you talking about a fission or a fusion reaction in order to generate the energy that, you know, with these middle school, and they were almost all girls. They were nailing these questions and it was just incredible to see them connecting with, you know, a senator and an astronaut. But two, I was watching this video and seeing, to me, what looked like Senator Kelly was really um, inspired by how um, engaged the students were in, in learning. And the point of that, in many ways, is that understanding is going both ways. You know, it's not just that the partner is sort of saying, I know all this about the moon or something. For me, it's it's the exchange of, of ideas and thoughts um, that makes it so magical. Then the students went on and they actually won a whole bunch of competitions with their designs and led to all kinds of other pretty, pretty exciting things. You're listening to This is Civity. I'm Gina Valeria. We're talking with Josh Schachter, founder and director of Community Share. I'll just mention one other that actually earlier on where a teacher, um, again, here in, in Tucson, was teaching history to her second graders, and she wanted to bring more of a creative element. So she went on the Community Share platform, and she found an artist, Kate Hodges, and Kate said, sure, you know, I'll work with the students. So Kate spent a month, um, she's a ceramicist and many other things, so the students built cliff dwellings and all kinds of other um, you know, they did song, lots of, she's multi, multi-talented artist. And the students were, you know, so engaged that the attendance actually went up on the days, you know, where she was coming. <laughs> but for me, what was really cool, the next year, they continued the relationship. And then Kate invited um, a friend and colleague of her, um, Nacho Flores, who's a Tonatum artist from one of the indigenous um, groups around Tucson. And he shared as a basket weaver, his understanding of the relationship between the desert and history. And they connected and created this amazing quilt out of the desert um, leaves and other stuff. And then the third year they connected and Nacho invited his family to visit the classroom. So for me, it was sort of like, if you think of a stone that went into a pond and the ripples, it's like the ripples of social capital. It started with Kate, but then led to these other connections that wouldn't have otherwise happened. And that's kind of what we're, you know, we're aiming for is, is sort of this building out this web um, 
where people are essentially bumping into each other, that one bump is kind of what we're trying to do through this human library, you know, that we've created. No, and I love this. And, you know, there is an official like human library where you go to a library and you talk to a person, but, but your vision is so incredible because it really does, it really does connect in ways that you can't possibly know where they're going to go. And you make a point in the article I read uh, that it's not just students to community partners, but it's also teachers to community partners and, and, and making sure everyone is kind of woven into that connection. And, and I mean, and you just explained why, I mean, through those examples, you can see why that's so important. And that's a lot of part of Civity's work too, is, is the idea of going in and seeding these ideas among the people who are able to make it happen. Like you're able to do this. Um, You have that position. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, my positionality as a white male, right? So that gives me a lot of privilege and that's enabled me, frankly, a lot of social capital. And so that's again, why I see the benefit of it. And then in terms of our role, I mean, our interest again is, is in supporting others to develop the agency <laughs> to connect, you know, whether it's teacher connecting with partner, student connecting with partner so that um, we're truly democratizing that rather than a top-down approach where we're saying you should connect with this person and telling people what to do. We are just creating the space for a teacher to say, hey, I'm working on this project about water conservation. And then the system says, okay, here's a hydrologist. And they then connect with that person and work with them to decide if it's a good fit or not, or what it would look like um, versus sort of a prescriptive approach where it's like everyone has to do three hours, you know, around this formula. We really, you know, trust um, folks to co-design the educators, the students and the partner, the experience. Sometimes it can be challenging because partners aren't necessarily, you know, they're not trained educators, but the idea is that together they can, you know, learn from each other and in addition, you know, sometimes partners don't feel comfortable um, working with kids. And so we have partners just work with teachers or also some, like in my case, I, because I started community share, I haven't had as much time, frankly, to go to schools anymore, but I can connect with teachers and talk about how to integrate photography into a literacy curriculum. And if I can share that with a teacher, then they can reach, you know, 100, 200 students. So if I can support the teacher in developing ideas and capability, they can reach way more students than I could if I just gave a talk to say 20 kids. So I think there's multiple ways of engaging and that's kind of one of our core components is that people are, can engage in the way that they feel comfortable, that honors who they are as humans and that will best support the goals of that partnership or that collaboration. Because some people can give, you know, three hours in a year. Some people can give 30 hours in a year or more. We really want to create the space for people to see themselves as part of the education system versus separate and to create the concrete pathways for them to engage. Well, it sounds like based on the examples you've given, it sounds like there really are multiple ways for people to engage in a way that works for them. And I really, I, the, the Mark Kelly example in particular, the Senator Kelly example, I love that because you flipped the whole uh, guest speaker 
thing on its head, right? It wasn't just Mark Kelly coming in and being like, this is what it's like to be an astronaut. He was in, and the students were in control. Exactly. I mean, he was just asking them questions to understand their thinking. And that's what was so magical about it is, you know, it wasn't him talking about what was it, you know, which would be valuable too, but he wasn't really sharing what it was like to be in space and all. It was really him, you know, understanding their designs and then asking really critical questions to help them think, maybe think through even deeper about some aspects, which is what we want. And they must have really felt seen, like they, the student, they must have really felt like, oh, I'm a part of this, this is mine, I own this. That must have been really empowering for the students to feel seen by someone like Senator Kelly and to feel like they could respond and, and that they were sort of a part of it rather than being talked at. In some cases, they literally like find their voice, right? They, they discover their passion or their path. Like we had a student, they spent, I think it was three months learning physics and chemistry through glass blowing, working with, you know, real glass blowers. And so they went, I think, 12 times to the studio and did the work. And then I remember one of the students shared with us about how not only was it amazing to learn about the glass blowing and the chemistry of it, and then they had to write a business plan to open up their own studio. And she shared how she now knew what she wanted to do with her life. And, you know, that's not going to happen for every student. But even if that happens for a few where they discover, wow, I didn't even know one, what a business plan was and why you would need it. And two, that physics and chemistry was relevant to something so cool as glass blowing. Totally. <laughs> Things vary from that where they really discover like their career path to just feeling like they understand why, you know, we measure through surveys. Like, do they understand the relevance of content from school now that they've connected with partners in a real world? And so we've definitely seen, you know, increased understanding of that relevance and in some cases, they've gotten, you know, internship opportunities or other connections. So it varies depending on, you know, we've connected over 12,000 students with real world learning. So, you know, some may be more of a one-off, you know, like a guest speaker, but, you know, some, as I mentioned, could be three or four months that where they're working together. So it varies quite a bit. We brought this up a little earlier, but I want to really kind of harp on it a bit is the idea of systems. Like I think in the U.S., I think sometimes we overlook the systems aspect of how things work in our society. And I'm wondering if you're willing or able or want to discuss specifically how you approach teaching people about systems or getting people on board with the systems idea. I think because my formal training is in ecosystem management, what it really helped me do is to see in systems, right? To observe how resources are distributed and flow in a system and who's getting access to what. So it addresses issues of equity. It's also sort of look almost like acupuncture. It's sort of like, where is the energy in a system? Where's the, the kind of the potential um, in a system? And where does it feel stuck in a sense? <laughs> and where are those places where you can kind of engage in a system where you feel like you might have the biggest impact? You know, just like if you were going to imagine trying to rethink the education system. There's not one point of entry where, you know, that's magically going to do it. There's multiple things that would need to be addressed in order to shift it. 
having studied um, lemurs like in Madagascar and following them around and, you know, primates and understanding human behavior through that. And then I, as a photographer, I photograph systems. I try to tell the story of relationships and systems through my, you know, like I spent seven years photographing the food system um, because I really feel like they're so important, but they're in many ways invisible <laughs> because it's sort of the lines between the dots that we don't see. <laughs> and community share, I sort of feel like we're the interstitial tissue, the connective tissue, not the dots. The dots are the people really, right, in the system. And often it's that piece that's missing, I think, is that connective tissue. And so I'm very interested in how do you reveal that connective tissue that enables connections and relationships to, to develop. You know, in sort of ecosystem management ecology, there's a, a space that's sort of called like an ecotone, which is sort of the nexus between two ecosystems. And it's often the most diverse space because two worlds are sort of bumping into each other, kind of like a riparian area where there's a, like a creek or a river and then maybe a grassland or a forest. You know, that's where there's like tons of birds and it's just like, whoa. For me, where there's some pretty exciting magic is those ecotones, like an example might be between in-school and out-of-school. You know, we often think of those as like totally separate worlds and they're frankly treated as separate. But when those two worlds, when there's some overlap and intersection, there can be real, some real magic, just like, as we've seen with COVID, like families and the role of them in education was like, oh, we send our kids to school and then that's it. But now the lines between family and parents in school has been blurred a little. And I think there is actually some real magic around how do we engage families and parents more in the learning process so that they're seen as assets you know, in, in the system, there's a lot that can be sort of learned from in terms of, you know, looking in a systemic way um, and even how we invest resources, you know, financially, there's a tendency to invest in programs, which I think of as sort of like dots, <laughs> thinking about how could we invest ecosystemically. So we're not just investing in the dots, but we're also investing in the connective tissue. And that to me, could you know significantly shift how things work? Civity, we see ourselves very similarly. We're the connective tissue. We we want to walk into a space where there's already an infrastructure that we can add to or help or facilitate, you know, whatever it may be. The idea of the spaces in between, it can go horribly wrong, right? Like the, the first thing I thought of when you said that was social media and how there's the potential for bullying or harassment, but also there's the potential to really make connections in that space. You've honored and made space for students to have a voice, I think, and for community members to have a voice, but but for, for students to be seen and for students to feel included in the process, in the conversation, and for students to see the why. You know, I mean, I think you're, you're kind of empowering or enabling all of that. Why you think inclusion and civic engagement and uh, making space for voices and stories is so important. I was a pretty good student, but I wasn't engaged. But but I also never thought I had anything to say that was important or a value or that anyone would care. And so I was sort of the kid that sat in the back hoping no one would call on me or even notice me, right? But then I discovered the camera, you know, and that really helped me understand that I had a voice. That was a, a way I could express it that 
felt like it honored who I was and what how I saw the world. And it also helped, frankly, others see the value I had to contribute to society um, because words were not my thing, you know, to be honest. Um, but visual storytelling has always been a way that I felt connected. And so that's why personally I feel very passionate about voice um, because I sort of lived it myself. If young people or any, not just young people, people in a community, one, don't have the opportunity to find their voice, it really limits the potential of them, not only for themselves, but their role in society. It's a loss for everybody if people aren't given that space. It's already inside of everybody, you know, that that voice is there. It's sometimes just bouncing it, testing it, bouncing it, getting exposed to things, test, you know, testing it again. That's how you develop your voice. It's not like you go from none to suddenly finding it. To fully formed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I don't think you find somebody's voice for them. They have to go through their own developmental process. And I think the finding of one's own voice is a civic act. And for me, that's where that real, you know, why I'm so passionate about real world learning is I believe you learn civics by doing it, not by just talking about it. So if students, you know, who I've had have said, why doesn't the bus come to my bus stop more regularly? That is a beautiful question to explore. Let's look at the system that determines and the people and the power structures the bus routes and, you know, is it the mayor, is it the city manager, is it the transportation department? And then understand the budgets and all the stuff. And then, you know, really come up with a plan to present their story, their voice, right? Analyze issues in their own community that they're passionate about. And then not just share their voice, but then tie it to, to action. So an artist can partner with someone that is more expert in policymaking or those things. And by working with them and the students together, you can really look at how to connect voice to policy change and systems change. And I think sometimes we tend to limit our own potential based on the taxonomies or the identities that we've created in society. And we even create for ourselves that as an artist, I'm not supposed to be doing this. How do you design for that and then support young people to experience that kind of integration. Is there anything else that you wanted to say that I didn't ask you that you think it's important for people to know? You know, I, I really hope uh, that the idea of civic engagement is seen as essential to the education system. It's not a nice to have that really civic engagement should be integrated in, as far as I'm concerned, into every content area. It's, it's a thread just like storytelling arguably could be a thread or... And for me, media literacy, like those things need to be essential foundational pieces. Yes, I agree. Yeah, media literacy is a central part of being literate, you know, civically literate. Just like as someone that studied some like mediation and conflict resolution, I think, you know, most issues in society, particularly civic, come down to communication and and we assume somehow people know how to move through conflict or deal with conflict as if we're born to know how to do that. But those are learned skills. And I think that is a core part of civic engagement, frankly, 
is learning those listening skills, those empathy skills, you know, learning how to ask open-ended questions. And I'm excited about your your work and um, hopefully uh, we can make a small difference together. I agree. I hope we can do that. Thank you to my guest, Josh Schachter, founder and director of Community Share. To find out more or get involved, go to communityshare.us. This is Civity features people who are building relationships to dismantle inequities and strengthen communities grounded in respect and empathy. Civity's theme song is Common Ground, performed by Tommy Castro and the Painkillers, written by Tommy Castro and Kevin Bowe, and used courtesy of Alligator Records and Dangerous Entertainment. Thank you for listening to This is Civity. You know, for centuries, the ultra-wealthy have been putting their money where their mouths are by investing in fine wine. And now, with Vint, you can do that too. At Vint, we offer SEC-qualified investment opportunities of fine wine and spirits curated by our experts with portfolio managers. With Vint, you can invest and diversify into the most sought-after assets that have a history of price appreciation. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co.